Good evening. Welcome to Esoteric Lighthouse. We are a group of free and accepted Masons from regular and recognized Masonic Grand Lodges focused on the esoteric, occult, and philosophical lessons found in Freemasonry. This being a public forum, our views and interpretations are not legal or official statements or opinions of any Grand Lodges or Masonic bodies we hold membership with. All opinions, thoughts, and interpretations are solely of the individual panelists. All right, good evening. We got illustrious Dr. Robert Mackey House, whichever one you want to call him, but actually uh, my friend, my brother, uh, Robert House, he's going to uh, bring us into a little bit of understanding of why we need to research and understand the Hebrew and the Hebrew alphabet in conjunction with masonry and the um, well, he can do a better introduction of it himself. So, floor is yours. Good evening, everybody. Um, can you hear me pretty well? Yes, sir. Okay. Um, so, one of the reasons we want to go into the Hebrew language uh, when pertaining to Freemasonry, um, we need to also understand that uh, Freemasonry don't just exclusively use um, Hebrew as uh, one of its languages of use. Uh, Freemasonry uses um, quite a few languages um, as you work your way through Freemasonry. But at the core, at the foundation, um, all those who are Freemasons understand that certain words and phrases and things of that nature are borrowed and used from the Hebrew language. Um, so I'm kind of gonna uh, start with a, a small little history of the Hebrew language, because there's a lot of truth um, that's uh, historical and then there's a lot of legends and a lot of things that um, people have utilized uh, when speaking of the Hebrew language. Uh, first of all, the Hebrew language is a uh, Phoenician Canaanite dialect. It is an actual Phoenician Canaanite language. Um, the Hebrews uh, are the people that really kept that language alive. So that's why it's more corn now Hebrew. Um, Hebrew has 22 consonants um, and it's, it's always said theoretically that there's no vowels in the Hebrew language. Well, that's actually fairly false. Um, even before um, what we call the Nikud or the Nikudot, the little dashes or dots around the language, if you normally see like it biblically written, um, Hebrew has always had a vowel system. Um, certain letters, um, primarily five of those letters, um, basically worked as vowels uh, grammatically. Um, but one thing I want to uh, really get out, uh, and I want to get out immediately, is that the Hebrew language um, is a verb-subject language, a verb-subject-object language, and is written or read and written from right to left where English we know is written from left to right and it is a subject verb object language. So that's primarily where um, Hebrew and English is separated and Hebrew is a Afro-Asiatic language. It's a part of the Afro-Asiatic family group, which includes obviously Hebrew, Aramaic, Arabic, um, Akkadian, Ugaritics, uh, Samaritan Cleophorm, uh, obviously, Phoenician and Canaanite scripts, um, 
Ethiopian Ge'ez, uh, um, and a few other languages, Afarik, um, and um, actually um, they kind of throw the Egyptian Coptic language in there as well. Um, but the Hebrew language uh, is very um, different in a way that uh, from say English or Indo-European languages. Um, Hebrew does not employ a separate uh, numerical system. So each letter in the Hebrew alphabet or alphabet uh, occupies also a number. So the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet alphabet is Aleph. And the Aleph also represents the number one. So we're gonna um, go back to that here um, shortly um, with the numbers and the letters. But the, the main thing with uh, Freemasonry um, in Hebrew, we know in the first three degrees and other degrees, there's certain words and phrases that we utilize. And those words are of the Hebrew language. And if any Mason really wants to get to the bottom of what is being spoken of, what is being brought up, um, something that's going to weigh on your conscience or your, or your mind, understanding what that word represents and what that word means at its core, um, at its root, at its true essence, is going to require the understanding of that word in the Hebrew language. Um, for instance, um, in the Hebrew language, there is no letter J. So there are certain words that we utilize in Freemasonry that when written in transliteration or written in translation, it employs the letter J. Well, that letter does not exist in the Hebrew language, the Aramaic language. It doesn't exist in the Greek language. That letter doesn't exist in the Latin language. So we have to understand that, um, and some the people that's watching that are Masons understand that we receive the substitute word for um, a particular thing in Masonry. And well, what you have to understand is it's very possible that you receive many substitute words. Um, a translation of a foreign word is a substitute word. So in order for you to truly understand and grasp the whole nature of the first three degrees, all the way up to the, the, the final and last degree of Freemasonry, which is the 33rd degree, is, is very important to understand the languages that's being utilized, especially the Hebrew language. Um, also with the Hebrew language, like I said, each letter represents a number as well. So when you get that word and you're looking at that word of a group of words and things of that nature, those words also have a numerical value. And that numerical value is gonna lead you down another road or another journey to discover even more information. And also, as far back as you can go, like I said, Hebrew is really a, a Phoenician Canaanite language. Um, they originally employed a more pictograph-like language, almost very similar to the uh, Egyptian hieroglyphs, uh, which actually is what uh, influenced the Canaanites and the, and the Phoenicians on their writing system was the uh, Egyptian hieroglyphs. So the Aleph, um, was originally drawn as like a bull's head. 
So when you go through that and you realize, okay, not only is the Hebrew alphabet has obsolete letter um, creation, the morphology, then you have a numerical value system with that same letter and also a picture graph image that goes with that letter. When you start going into that and realizing, hey, this one word actually has multiple layers to it, you then get into a sense of what some people have said they hate this word, which I don't personally understand why someone would hate a word anyway, because um, all words have meanings and those meanings really mean something. They're very important um, to understand. But when you understand that, now you're getting to what we would call esoteric, something that's hidden that only a few small people know and have knowledge of, and hence our, our name of our show, Esoteric Lighthouse. We're really bringing light to esotericism um, and understanding that esoteric, nothing esoteric is really spooky. It's just saying that only a few people know this information. And if you as a Freemason don't know that even just a very elementary level of Hebrew, it's a lot of the meanings of the words, the uses of these words um, from the numerical value to the pictographic value, to just the word itself, it's you're just missing a lot of information. So when we uh, think about things like uh, we have some 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 phrases that we use in in um, Freemasonry, uh, and for those who use a certain um, via sacred law or um, Bible. Um, most Bibles written in the King James Version, uh, Victorian English language, uh, the first line of Genesis um, reads, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, that's the translation of the Hebrew language that says, Bereshit bara Elohim et hashemayim wa'etz ha'eretz. So the very first word there is Bereshit. Um, Bereshit in Hebrew, actually translates in a beginning, not the beginning. Um, in Hebrew, the uh, direct marker or the direct indicator, the, would be an H or hey. And so it will say how Bereshit, meaning the beginning. Uh, or you will see, um, if you're looking at it and understand the language, you will see that the bet that starts off the word Bereshit will have a short A or a long A. So it will say Ba-Rashit or Be-Rashit instead of Bush-Rashit. Um, so these things starts to get deep into basically um, pronunciation or uh, your phonology, uh, your morphology, how the language is written and the syntax, how the actual sentence structure is designed. Uh, but the thing is for, for Freemasonry is, is um, understanding that the, the Hebrew language is grammatical rules are, are set in stone. So regardless of how far back you go or to modern day time, the grammatical language or the grammatical rules of the language is set in stone. Um, so if somebody came to you um, and said, 
a certain word to you and you wanted to understand what that word was, you would need to go from the English back to the Hebrew, back to the etymology of that Hebrew word to what is called the Shoresh. And the Shoresh just means the root of the word. Uh, for instance, um, Solomon's name is Shalomo. That's his real name is Shalomo. It's not Solomon. Solomon is really a very bad uh, translation or transliteration of the word Shalomo. Well, the Shoresh or the root of the word Shalomo is Shin Lamet Mem. Any word in the Hebrew language that has those three letters in that order, Shin Lamet Mem, which is called the triconsonal root, um, will have basically the same root definition, which is peace. So uh, when we look at Solomon's name, and we understand that Solomon's name is Shalomo, and the word king in Hebrew is Hamelik, or the king would be Hamelik, using hey as the um, direct marker indicator, saying ha or the king, Solomon's name would literally translate to the king of peace, because Solomon's name is Shalomo, Shin Lamet Mem, hey, means peace. So the word Shalom, which most people universally know, Shalom means peace or hello, goodbye, but the basis of the word Shalom is peace. That word also has the letter Shin Lamet Mem. So uh, by understanding those things, and th that's fairly elementary uh, because you, you can't really uh, translate Hebrew without knowing the triconsonal roots of the words that you're using. Once that triconsonal root is developed, then you have a prefix or suffix, and that's what starts to build on the language, um, which is also called the binyan, or really translates to build, builder. So it kind of goes back to, once again, Hebrew, and Freemasonry, masonry being builders, and the binyan of the system of the Hebrew language means to build upon or build upon that shores or that root or foundation. Uh, so um, when we think about uh, Hebrew, uh, we'll get back to just the alphabets. Like I said, it's 22 consonants. Within those consonants, uh, we can start to see the development of so many other languages. Um, we get the alphabets and then we have alphabet, which is what we utilize for English. Um, there's a system called grammatria, and that goes to the numerical value of the Hebrew language or the Hebrew letters and the total sum of each word. Um, by using grammatria, and grammatria is created by you would say uh, medieval uh, Northern European Jews. Um, and they utilize that to basically get a more in-depth understanding of the Hebrew language and a more mystical uh, understanding of the Torah and the Tanakh. Um, but if you, for instance, had a word that had, that had say five letters in the word and that the sum of those five letters equal 26, if you find another word that also equals 26, the way they look at grammatra is that 26 and the 26 coincide with each other, 
So each word will build upon each other and give you even more depth into understanding each word. Also, you can take that even farther by getting a whole sentence and coming to the complete sum of that sentence and then find another sentence within the Tanakh or the Torah. And if that sentence also equals the same sum, then those two sentences work perfectly with each other. They match and they bring even more understanding to what is being said. So the Hebrew language is, is very, um, in itself, mystical. Um, I, I really don't like to say it is the language of, or the Hebrew language, because we know uh, historically and even biblically, the word Hebrew does not really identify a race of people. Um, nowadays, we do have um, what is considered uh, a, a uh, ethno-religious uh, group or nation of people, and that's what we call the Jews. Um, they uh, represent the, the people that have kept the traditions of the Hebrews or the Jews of the biblical uh, narrative and the biblical uh, history. But the, the <clears throat> excuse me, the language that we have today and the alphabet system that we have today that we employ for the Hebrew language is actually Aramaic. Um, the, the Aramaic block script is um, what is utilized right now biblically and um, modernly in Israel or Israeli Hebrew to utilize or to write out the Hebrew language. Uh, we know that language is determined by the morphology, phonology, and syntax. It's, it has absolutely nothing to do with the script or the grapheme or the graphemic index and what is used to employ the language. So when we are looking at the characters that is utilized in the alphabet of the Hebrew language that it employs now, that doesn't necessarily indicate the Hebrew language. There's also a language called Yiddish that utilizes also the Aramaic block script, but is a Indo-European language that is more dramatic or, or a language based in Germany um, versus the actual Afro-Asiatic language of Hebrew. So we also have to understand that and be able to um, separate the two. Um, a lot of, for, for instance, we see memes and stuff of the word abracadabra. Well, abracadabra is an Aramaic word. It, it's using the Aramaic block script, but a lot of people confuse abracadabra as a Hebrew word when it's not, it's actually Aramaic. So you have to be aware of the words that you're using because there's a biblical story um, that speaks of um, travelers that was traveling around and they utilized the word and they pronounced that word wrong. They basically mixed the sheen, which is a SH sound with the Samech, which is a, a more true S uh, sound that we would use in English. And because they utilized those, that word improperly, and it was basically just a um, different dialect, they biblically is written that they were basically killed for utilizing the wrong word. So 
when we think of Hebrew and actually when we think about um, Arabic, um, the biggest thing is pronunciation. It's being able to pronounce the words properly uh, because you might say Malik or you might say uh, Malkah and those two words are utilizing the same three letters um, in the Hebrew language. But depending on the inflection or the use of a certain vowel, you might say the king or just a king or ruler. And based on the syntax of the, the sentence that is in, you're probably just using the word wrong in general. Um, so it's very important to, um, to understand the Hebrew language for the simple fact that the Hebrew language is going to bring you um, more in-depth understanding, more esoteric uh, understanding of the words that's used in Freemasonry. Regardless of what the word is being used for, it's the fact that you now know more so what that word used on a, a more deeper, more intimate level. Because when you start putting those words together, those words are going to paint a bigger picture than what can really be paint, painted via, um, uh, due to translation. Because it's, it's even books written that's, that's uh, written by uh, great authors that are great uh, uh, Hebrew speakers and really scholars of the Hebrew language. And they, it's a book written, um, I can't remember the author's name, but it's called Lost in, uh, Lost in Translation. And it, it really shows how a lot of the, the translations of the Hebrew, Aramaic, um, and uh, Cohen Greek manuscripts that we now call or know as biblical writings of the Bible, there's a lot of improperly translated words in and because of those improperly translated words, we have really kind of flawed understanding of uh, certain biblical stories, certain biblical uh, sentences and lines and things of that nature. It just creates confusion. And a lot of people don't know that they're confused. So when you think about that, even in masonry, when we use certain words in Freemasonry, for whatever reason we're using them for, if you're not truly familiar with uh, the meanings of those words at their roots, at their original language, um, you might actually be using the words improperly. Uh, one thing I suggest uh, for people to do, simply just to learn the language real quick and fast, because uh, let's face it, um, most people in the United States are not walking around speaking to each other in Hebrew. Um, even um, your Orthodox Jews in, say, New York, Miami, uh, even Chicago, New Jersey, they're only really utilizing Hebrew for um, uh, synagogue classes or to uh, read the Torah in the synagogue, to, to have certain sermons or whatnot. Uh, but outside of that, they're not really communicating with each other with uh, Hebrew. So it, I wouldn't say. Uh, get out there and try to take uh, on some Hebrew language classes. Now, you can if you would like to. I would suggest it'd be great. Uh, and then it'll give me some more people to talk to in Hebrew. <laughs> but uh, one thing you can do is just familiarize yourself with the, the Hebrew alphabet. And 
kind of how they sound. Um, obviously, we all have our own little uh, accents, like, you know, southern accent, northern accent, uh, west, east coast. But the main thing is being able to identify the Hebrew words, uh, identify that a word that starts with a J, that is a translation of a Hebrew word, is impossible. It's just absolutely impossible for that word to give you the true essence of the Hebrew word because there's no such thing as a J in Hebrew. There's no J sound in the Hebrew language. There's no J sound in Latin, Aramaic, or, or um, Greek. So when you start saying these words and understanding these words and researching these words, it's best to know, obviously, the alphabet. It's best to also know the vowel system. And then it's, it's best to be able to identify the root, the, the shores or the triconsonantal roots of the word. If you can get just that far, um, not talking about parsing out words, not talking about uh, translating biblical texts and stuff. I'm not trying to get you to understand Bereshit means in a beginning. Well, you need to know that. You need to know that the, the Bible starting off in the beginning is completely wrong. That is, there's no way to get in the beginning from Bereshit. Um, no way. So it's, it's good for you to be able to uh, research that, be able to go into that. There's books that you can buy. Uh, and I suggest this book, you can buy it off of Amazon. Uh, this book, um, if you buy the whole series right now, I think on Amazon is uh, $167. Now that's, that sounds pretty expensive, but what $160 gives you with this book is this is a textbook. I mean, everything you need to know from elementary level to collegiate level uh, Hebrew studies is in this book. But for $160, $67, you get that textbook, you get workbooks, you get um, uh, CD-ROM, you get um, uh, CD to play in your car so you can actually build your vocabulary. And you, it follows all along with this textbook. You get, you get a lot of stuff with it. Um, and you know, obviously it's a way to uh, teach yourself Hebrew um, at your own pace. But for, for, for instance, um, the word Torah is a feminine word, and Torah uh, means the the is the five books of, of Moses is what most people would think of the Old Testament, and that's the five books from Genesis to Deuteronomy. Uh, but Torah is the Hebrew word for instructions or laws. And the Bible, if there was more than say one Torah given or one set of laws given. For instance, we know biblically um, it's written that Moses went up to Mount Sinai, talked with God, came down with the Torah, with the law of, of God on two tablets. Um, there's uh, many um, Jewish uh, tales that you have the written law and you have the oral law and that that Moses received two laws or two sets of laws where grammatically 
if Moses received more than one law, it was be grammatically saying Torah or Tortaim. Tortaim basically means two laws. It tells you two laws. You don't really find that anywhere biblically written in the Torah. Um, you can search for it, it's just not there. It tells you that he received the Torah, but it doesn't say anything about Tortaim or two Torahs. So the, the, the main thing I would say about learning Hebrew is that when you're utilizing Hebrew, be it Masonically, be it Biblically, be it whatever reason you're using it, if you know the language, then you can't be deceived, you can't be tricked, you can't, there's nothing that creates any wiggle room in there of what you know it says, because you can go to the book and you can read it and say, okay, no, this, this word is not this, because there's no J's, so it cannot be translated or transliterated to this, but the actual word this is speaking of is this, and now you can start to research that Hebrew word. You can research it based on its root. You can research it based on the numerical value. You can re research it based on the pictographic value. Um, it just gives you more ability, gives you more ability to, to understand what you're dealing with, Masonically or religiously. Um, and ultimately, we know in Freemasonry, the main thing that we are seeking is, is knowledge. We're seeking knowledge. And in order to really get the most out of your experience is to really just dive down the hole. And diving down the hole would consist of learning multiple languages, not fluently, but being comfortable enough to understand that, okay, this is Hebrew, this is Greek, this is Aramaic, this is uh, Portuguese. You know, depending on you know, what area you go through, if you go stay at the Blue House level, uh, ancient craft mason, that's fine. Or if you go, um, you know, chapter, chapter, council and commander, or if you go Scottish right, you're gonna run into different things. And by running into those different things, that is a, another avenue for you to increase your knowledge and understanding of those allegories, those symbolisms and those words. Um, so, um, if if you see me looking over here, I'm looking at my computer screen. I'm in my office at 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 work, uh, but I got some Hebrew stuff pulled up here that I want to uh, go over. Also, uh, one thing with the Hebrew language, there's um, a few words that change um, their their look depending on if they're at the ending of a word. That's one of the things that uh, tend to be the hardest thing for most people to, to understand that sometimes in the Hebrew language, certain letters change their shape or change their um, morphology, um, how they look. And what, you know, once you understand that, and they don't change dramatically, it's, it's pretty easy to find out, but there's certain uh, letters that look similar, like race, the uh, R sound letter looks like the Dalit. Um, and the final mem looks like a salmon. And things like that kind of throw people off. Um, there's one book by Albert Pike called The uh, Book of the Words. 
Uh, Albert Pike did a very good job at what he was able to do, but there's so much wrong in that book based on the Hebrew language and stuff that is is incredible. He um, and he just basically had made the mistakes that most beginners make. Um, he confused a letter with another letter. He forgot a final form for another final form. These type of things are just indicators of someone that really don't know the language. So it's, it's just best for you, to, especially now since we have so much technology access to books is to, to really dive deep into um, your studies. You know, as, if you really wanna go far in Freemasonry, you know, why not invest in your ability to be able to identify certain words and their meanings and understand what it means. And that way, now you can teach the next generations of Masons coming in and uh, feed them the knowledge that they need to know. Um, um, yeah, I think uh, for the most part, that's, I think that's, that's pretty much it. Uh, I think, you know, yeah, if you, if you can understand that there's certain letters um, that don't exist in the Hebrew language. Uh, actually, in the Hebrew language, there's no letter J. There's no letter E. There's no letter U. Nowhere in the Hebrew language. Don't, don't exist. There's vowel sounds like E. And there's a vowel sound U. Uh, where you can write it with double O's or uh, U sound, U. But those letters don't exist in the Hebrew language. So if you know there's no letter J in the Hebrew language, there's no letter, <clears throat> no letter U in the Hebrew language, and there's no letter E in the Hebrew language, then you should know something from, from that, you know, and take that bit of information as you will. Uh, and like I said, there's no letter J in Greek, and there's no letter J in Latin, um, or Aramaic, for that matter, either. So, but yeah, um, the more you know, the better you will, you know, become overall, because once you know what you need to know, then there's no way for you to be deceived of, of anything. You can get to the root of it, and honestly, language is the thing that truly separates us all. Because if we understand everybody's language and everybody's language identifies their culture, their culture is also gonna identify their system of belief or their uh, understanding of this creation. And then we can all you know, try to understand it and we'll get along a lot better. Um, one of the things I would say, um, if, if, if you think about um, the Tower of Babel, uh, in Hebrew, Babel is what it would be. Babel, not Babel, but Babel. Babel actually means gates of God. Um, so at the gate of God, and we know the story, uh, Elohim saw that man was building a tower and said basically anything man thinketh he can do. And the gods, because Elohim is a majestic plural, which means God's plural, multiple gods, a council, a pantheon of gods, and if you look up the Elohim, the word Elohim, and the pantheon of gods that goes back to the Phoenicians and the Canaanites and their pantheistic um, 
uh, ideologies and their gods. Um, but Elohim, representing the pantheon of gods, um, confused the tongues. Um, and confusion of the tongues or the splitting of the tongues basically just identifies the splitting of multiple languages. Um, and because the people could not understand each other's language, that created a divide from the people because the people were once one because they had one language. And because they had one language, they understood each other and they were together. When the languages were divided and split and changed, that created chaos, that created separation. So um, by unifying language, then we take that separation and we reunite what was once together that became separated, we bring it back together under one language. Uh, so by understanding the Hebrew language, you can kind of get to understand a lot more of certain stories in the Bible, uh, certain words we use in, in, in Freemasonry, like I said. And just honestly, from, from, for those who uh, understood what I just said, can really start to grasp why learning Hebrew would be very good because if you honestly think that the story uh, of Babel and the Babel was properly translated and you didn't know that that actually was the gate of God and that's what was taking place, uh, then you, you just don't really understand what was taking place because you're lost in translation. So I, I want to end on just taking the time out, learning the 22 letters of the alphabet, um, learn at least to be able to identify which letter is what and how to find the Shores or the triconsonantal root because they're going to be right by each other. That's why they're triconsonantal. They're, they're always going to be right by each other. So you, it's very easy to find. And then from there, you can find the definitions. And once you find the definitions of those words, you can just go down the rabbit hole, you know, with your mantra, numerical values, the pictographic understandings. And then you might actually find out that you're starting to venture off into other languages, um, like the Egyptian hieroglyphs, like the Samaritan and Ugaritic and Akkadian languages, and actually Sanskrit, uh, which is which is it gets very very deep, and you're you're find out uh, really truly that what you think is separating us is actually um, not really a separation; it's an illusion. But that's all I got. <laughs> oh, thank you, sir. We greatly appreciate this one. Yes. Waiting and waiting and waiting. <laughs> uh, very, yeah. very informative. Yeah, I'm um I usually got a lot to say, but um I'm truly a student in, in this area here. <laughs> so don't have a whole lot to say. Um I did have a question. All right. Um, in reference to um I notice a lot when you see the um when you study Kabbalah. And you see the tree, um, and some some depictions of that tree, you will see uh, Hebrew alphabets tethered to that. Is there is there is there um, a deeper meaning to that, or is that just over time it different different people associated it with the tree, or is there kind of like a tie with that? So 
um, what they're using, that, like I said in the presentation, since Hebrew doesn't employ a separate system of numbers, those, those letters are being utilized as numbers. So if the Aleph is a Keter, that's telling you that this is the first Sephiroth. And then if you see Beit at uh, Chokmah, then that's telling you that is, that's the second Sephiroth. And Bina would be uh, Dalit and, and so on. So that's what that's doing. But also, if you start to connect those dots, you're going to get a word. And then that word is going to have an overall numerical value. And then that numerical value is going to take you somewhere else. So we know the Kabbalah is a mystical system. It's a, uh, it started off as a, a Jewish mystical system. And then now you have the uh, Christian uh, Kabbalah and you have the Hermetic Kabbalah. But it originally started off as a Jewish mystical system that utilized the, the, the alphabet and the language system of, the, of the, the language and the numerical system to give a even deeper understanding. Um, the book of the Sefer Yesarah is the book of found formations. In that book, it breaks down the, the creation of existence of the world utilizing the, the Hebrew language. Well, what we have to understand is what they're doing is the Hebrew language is being utilized as a symbol of just language, not the Hebrew language was the language that created everything. It was just utilizing that as a symbol of the sound or the resonance of whatever you call God, the supreme, the architect, whatever was being used was utilized using sound. And we understand language by a certain sound that we identify as a word. That's, that's it. So when we understand the logos, just really just means the sound. And that's why it says, John 1 and 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Well, we have to understand there in the Greek, that word that we have translated of saying word literally is logos. And we understand that the logos, the, the understanding of the word, the Greek word logos predates Christianity. Mm -hmm. So, so the word logos is not identifying Jesus as a historical individual that created things. Logos is identifying the sound of mm -hmm. because we, we know scientifically um, that it is sound, it's resonance, it's vibration that is the whole of everything. We know that there's atoms, you know, super duper gigantically small particles that's moving real fast. Those, those atoms has a sound mm -hmm. and that sound is vibrating at a certain frequency. That is what the logos represents. That's what they're speaking of in the book of formations in the Sepharius Arach. They're not saying literally God created existence using the Hebrew language because we know the Hebrew language is not the first language spoken ever. We know the Akkadian language is thousands of years older. 
We know the Ugarigas language is thousands of years older. We know that the Proto-Semitic, the Proto-Canaanite, the Proto-Fahitian is much older than the syntax, morphology, and phonology of the Hebrew language. We also know that the, the Sanskrit, the Talmud languages are older than Hebrew. We know that there are click noises uh, that, or language that's used in South Africa amongst the, um, the Khoasan people and the Zulu people that's older than the Hebrew language. So it makes absolutely no sense to, to think or state that the Hebrew language is the oldest language and it's the literal language that God created all this with. We, we, we have to go beyond it. So that's what the, the Kabbalah is showing. The, the Kabbalah is, is also itself symbolism. We utilize the Kabbalah tree of life as, as our symbol for Esoteric Lighthouse. It's a symbol that's conveying information to those who understand what they're seeing. And by understanding that that Aleph is representing a sound within the creation of everything, because we know the ah sound is, is heard everywhere. There's three sounds that a, a mute person, a person that cannot utilize their tongue to generate language. There's three sounds that can be utilized or made by a person that cannot truly speak. That's ah, ooh, and mm. Those three sounds can be generated by a person that cannot speak. So when we do the research, we know that takes us back to the Sanskrit and the Hindu word of om. Yes. When you utilize the A and the U and you bring those together syntactically and morphology, it makes O-M. But the word is actually A-U-M. It's three. But when you pronounce the word, it, it's pronounced OM because the A sounded in that is, is it's a soft A, but the A is there. So in the Hindu system, or uh, the Hindu, the um, actual Indian system of speaking of Sanskrit, the A, the U, and the M represents the first letter in their alphabet system being the A, the U being the middle letter in their alphabet system, and the M, the M being the last. And that's where you get your actual first understanding of a trinity. That's the first the middle, and the last. And that's where you get Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva. And that brings us to the equilateral triangle. That brings us to the essence of creation because their thing is that there's a resonance or a sound, which they say is A-U-M, Om, that is permanently taking place right now in all of creation that's holding and keeping everything in existence. Um, in Hebrew, we understand a word that is named Yahweh. That is given to the a, a, <laughs> a God in the Bible. I will say that. <laughs> um, grammatically, the word yod hey wav hey or Yahweh is not a name. It is a verb. It is a 
third masculine singular imperfect word that means it that causes to exist. It is a word that tells you what the supreme being does. It is a causative action, a causative um, particle that is taking place. So if that being speaks or makes a sound, that sound is what's causing everything to exist. And that's where you get in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So, so you're it's a frequency. It's a frequency, yes. Mm -hmm. So th th this is what we have to understand with language. And we have to understand that language, whoever was the first, 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 first beings on the earth that was able to talk, something had to give them language. There's, there's no way around it. They did not, the first two people, three people, however many people it was, biblically it says Adam and Eve. We'll, we'll say Adam and Eve, even though Adam and Chava does not represent two individuals. This is why you need to know language. Adam, the, the mem tells you plural, people, <laughs> mankind. And Chava just represents living, the living, because Chava represents the mother of all living things. So that, that thing, whatever Chava actually was, was the source of all living things. So if, if she's the source of all living things, that means she had to be before Adam. But, but um, so, well, <laughs> so we understand... When we understand the language, then we understand what's being said. Um, I had a rabbi tell me years ago, years ago, I probably, um, I, maybe I was 15. He was like, the truth is in the language. And, and that stuck with me for a long time. And the more I got deeper and deeper and deeper into the language, I started to see even more how significantly the truth is in the language. because. The Hebrew language will send you to another language that's older than the Hebrew language. And then you'll start seeing, oh, this, this just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And then you realize that what you thought you knew was not even remotely the truth. As long and and that's why it's it's written in the in the Bible that says to seek the old paths and seek the old ways, but they say they will not go that way. We have a big issue that we will not do what's necessary to find the truth. And the finding the truth means going back because the source is back here. Everything is moving and science even tells you that. There's something that took place at this point and we can call it Big Bang, we can call it the creation, but whatever that source was, everything starts to move outward from that source. In order to find the truth, you got to get back to the source. And that's one of the things I, I'm not really into comparing movies and things of that nature. But the Matrix tells you, Neo and them had to get back to where? The, the source. source. That source. new movie. The new movie is all about going back to the source. You've yeah. got to go back to, so that's language. We have to go back to the source. Whoever, like I said, whoever or whatever was the first people speaking. They are the people 
that knew whatever this thing we call God, the creator, the architect, whatever, they were the ones that knew who it was because they're the ones that received the language. Because mm -hmm. language has to have certain sounds, certain structures, certain morphologies, phonologies, and syntax to communicate. So I got a couple questions before we go. Right. You you said Adam. Yeah. Just, uh, Adam. Adamu. 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 A singular person, but a people, a species, maybe a race, a root yeah. race of people. Possibly it was five root races and we're in the fifth race, right? But it, I'm, but I was just clarifying what you said. <laughs> I just wanted to clarify. You said Adam was a people. Yes. Yeah. Then because back... and we know this because biblically, so see, and here's this is why language is important, especially Masonically and uh, religiously. If if you if you utilize, and this is my opinion, this is my opinion. If if you utilize a particular book for your religion. And say that's the Bible. We know that the Bible is originally written in Hebrew. There's two books that was written in Aramaic in the Old Testament. Then you have the Kohen Greek. And the first two books of the Bible, Genesis chapter one, Genesis chapter two, gives you two complete different stories and creations. You have a set of people that was created in Genesis chapter one. Male and free male created he and them. He were them, plural, not doing. Called and called their name Adam. And called their name Adam. Male and female was connected together and they name was called Adam. God told them to be fruitful and multiply. This is Genesis mm -hmm. chapter one, 26 through 28. He said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the so earth. Replenish. That replenish. means there was some species there before. Exactly. Yeah, because, it, because it wasn't the beginning. It was, it was in the beginning. beginning. There you go. Yeah. But it, if you don't understand the language, you will look at King James Victorian English commissioned by the Church of England, tell you that this is the beginning. Hmm. Yet, it tells you 25 verses later to redo something. You can't redo something that hasn't been done already. And, and you know what? If you go back after the flood with Noah, when Noah got off that boat, he was he told to do the same thing, replenish, replenish the earth. The earth. And that's where learn the language because in Hebrew, this word is this word. If this word is used here and it's used somewhere else, that solidifies that when it was used here in Genesis chapter one, it was utilized the same way in Exodus. That's the definition. It is solidified. It supports itself. Is numerical values the same? Is shoresh or root words the same? Is pictographic 
It's the same. This means to redo something. You cannot redo what has not been done. Right. So that's the key. Right. And then going back to what you were saying, one more thing is you, you were building on the first creation, but there's a second one in there. Which one was the second? Now, the second one would yeah. be Genesis chapter two. Yeah. Genesis chapter one, they made male and female and called their name Adam, told them to be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. In Genesis chapter two, there's a man made, and that man was made from the dust of the earth. In Genesis chapter one, God said, well, Elohim, it says literally Elohim, majestic plural, meaning God's plural. God's mm -hmm. pantheon, seven. These are the seven gods that we know existed within the pantheon of the Phoenicians and the Canaanites. These gods were planetary gods. These gods' ruler name was El. El is Saturn. End of discussion. So, <laughs> <laughs> Elohim told them to be fruitful and multiply. Those male and female, those people, were made in the image of Elohim. In Genesis chapter 2, the man, Adam, was made from the dust of the ground. It does not say that man of the dust of the ground was made in the image of God. This is a completely different creation. Male and female in Genesis chapter 1 was made at the same time. In Genesis chapter 2, man was made, then man was saw that he should not be alone. He was put to sleep, and a woman was made from his rib. That sounds like a golem. Hmm? Ain't that what they call a golem or something like that? That is a golem. There's mm. nowhere around. That's why God had to breathe into his nostrils to give him life. God did not have to do that in Genesis <laughs> chapter 1. Also, if you look, read Genesis chapter 1 shows you that the fruits and the trees and all that was made before man. In Genesis chapter 2, the fruits and trees was made after man. These are things that we have to understand. They're either contradictions or they're two creations. Okay. Also, in Genesis chapter 3, it tells you the only person that was kicked out of the garden of Eden was Adam, not Eve. We have to actually read that book because we finally fast forward. Cain and Abel were born to Adam and Eve. Cain, you know, killed Abel, got upset, was scared, and said, hey, these people are going to kill me in the land of God. Who are these people that will kill him in the land of Nod? Well, we have to go back to Genesis chapter 1. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Right. Those are the people that Cain was afraid of. Cain knew of these people. We know Genesis chapter 2, God took this man that he made from the, the dirt, the golem, and put him eastward in the garden. We have people replenishing or repopulating the earth, but there's a garden that this man of the dirt was made to work in and the woman with him. Cain found a wife. 
and knew her. It was Genesis chapter five, you know, Genesis chapter yeah, five, when it now says that Adam and Eve had sons and daughters. So we have to we have to read that book and understand what's taking place. There's multiple creations, people populating the whole earth, but there's a small little garden where there's a, a man and a woman in that garden. The people populating the earth don't know anything about the tree of life of good and evil or the tree of life, period. They're just out there doing their thing. Only people was told, or actually the only person that was told not to eat off the tree was Adam. But if you understand the syntax of the language, when the serpent or the nakash, which the nakash represents a seraphim or a fiery angel, angelic serpent or actually being, it's not actually a serpent, a being, we're actually talking to Adam and Eve because Hebrew is a subject verb language where they have to agree with themselves. So if I'm talking to a woman and there's somebody else, everything that I say verbally, uh, adverbs, nouns, has to be in the plural sense. And when you read that, it is written in the plural sense. So that means Adam had to be there. And by Hebrew being a masculine feminine language, if a male is anywhere around, if I'm talking to a woman, I still have to speak to her in the masculine. The language, that's why I say it's the truth is in the language. If you want to know what's happening, <laughs> you really need to know the language. Yeah, I, I, I um, uh, often advise people to at least start with a strong concordance. You know, like when I started reading the Bible, um, I was introduced probably about 10, 15 years ago to a strong concordance, and it gave me a whole different look of the things that I was taught. The things that I was taught did not marry up with what was actually in the language. And so one of the things I say to people is that, you know, don't take this the wrong way. You know, people say, well, are you saying that my, my preacher or my pastor or someone has, has been lying to me? A person can not know and honestly teach what they think they know genuinely from their heart. And you see that a lot. You know, a lot of times people are just regurgitating what has been taught to them, what was taught to their parents, so on and so forth. So it's not like they're misleading. Now, I do believe there are people out there that actually know the language and they know that they're intentionally misleading people. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, so at the end of the day, I say to people all the time, no, I'm not saying your pastor, your minister, any of those folks are intentionally lying to you. A lot of them just don't know themselves. They're ignorant of the fact of what's really being said, and they're just passing down traditional things that have been taught to them. Yeah. So uh, my other one, other question that I had was in regards to the three top sephiroth of the tree of life, or uh, Keter, Hokmah, and Binah. I've heard in them in context with also the three letters you mentioned, ah, oh, and um, mm. um, earlier, and also the creator, the preserver, and destroyer, which is Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. And my question is, does this correlation have any uh, validity in what is being taught with the tree? So 
So, yes, because according to the Kabbalah, really, the farthest you can really get back up the tree is to Bina. And that, that represents Shiva. Once you hit there, get to that point, Shiva is identified as the destroyer. But he's not a destroyer in the sense of I'm going to destroy or uh, uh, kill or something like that. It's there where you're transformed. That's where the transformation takes place, or even you can call annihilation. Uh, and what that is, is separating the, the I of the self and bringing that eye of the self to the oneness of the, the creator. And that's where you go from Shiva to now Vishnu and then Vishnu back to Brahma. And, and, and Brahma represents that first spark, basically. Um, within the darkness, because it's the darkness that called forth the light. So everything originates from darkness. Um, it is written in Exodus 20, 21, that uh, the people stood far off and Moses went to the thick darkness where God was. God, we have to understand, and it even shows this in the Matrix again. I think it was Matrix 2 when Neo got blinded. And he wrapped his the the hoodwink around his face, and he was like, "It's nothing but pure light." He saw the real light then, that was within the what we would call darkness. And there's some you know teachings and things that says that there's animals that in the darkness is true light to them, and for those who see in the light, it's dark for them. We have to understand that because we can't perceive with our eyes a certain level of light doesn't mean that the light's not there. The light's still there. We just don't perceive it. And Masonically, or just based on philosophy in general, that light we are looking for is knowledge. And that knowledge is there regardless if you can't see that knowledge, the knowledge is there. And it's going to take a certain level of, of conditioning being basically removed and reconditioning your eyes, your mind, and your ability to see beyond that layer of darkness that you thought was darkness, but actually was light. So that's, that's what that represents, the Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva. Because um, we got to understand that the tree of life is just one thing. You have these different ten separations that people may look at, like, oh well, you know, I'm at, I'm at uh, Malkuth, and I'm trying to get the Yased, I'm trying to get the Tesseract, I'm trying, trying to do all this, but it's telling you that these are just layers of levels of the one. And if you look at it, Keter is directly connected to Malkuth. That would be the middle chamber, but people don't correlate the Miller chamber to the Kabbalah. Everybody wanna say, well, I'm going to right hand path. I'm going to left hand path. Why you ain't going through the middle path? What do they say? The fastest way to one place is a straight, straight line. line. Why nobody taking that straight line? But see, people read the New Testament and when Jesus said that broad leadeth to destruction, 
but narrow is the gate that leadeth unto life. Middle chamber. I mean, it's 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 all there. You know, You're going in. You see what y'all did? Y'all y'all got. Um, He's going in. Uh, you done got Robert Owl Pikey House going. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> Owl Pikey hey, slash Incredible Hulk. <laughs> this this is the issue. the The problem is we have a lot of people that will say, "Well, the Kabbalah is not Masonic, or the Bala is not this and not that." But in order to know what something is or isn't, requires you to have knowledge of it. You cannot say what isn't if you don't know what it is. That's it. Knowledge is the name of the game. People, you know, belief, belief, belief should lead you to knowledge. Belief should be the spark of making you say, okay, I'm going to search and see. I'm going to find if this belief is true. But if you stay at belief, you're ultimately building a stumbling block before yourself, not knowing that the stumbling block is really designed as a stepping stone. We talked about Jacob's ladder, but if you don't take the necessary steps, you can never elevate up the ladder. You will continue to trip and fall. And that's that's what people don't people don't understand is the symbolism is everywhere. But are you taking the time to understand the symbol? Understanding that symbol means esoteric because everybody's not meant to know what that symbol is. Everybody don't know what that symbol is. So the definition itself, esoteric means only a few know. So it makes no sense to say, I hate this word if you're in an organization that is inherently esoteric. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Again, I want to thank my brother, Dr. Robert House, <laughs> for blessing us with a grateful, a great lecture this evening. Um, I don't want to cut this short. We're going to do what we do after the recorded session. But next month, we got another special treat. We got Brother Javon Greenway, who's going to give us some African spiritualism. All right. That's what we're talking so, about. So tune in next month for ELH and we're out. Mm -hmm.